Look at John 4. We're going to run through this as quickly as I possibly can. Um, don't laugh. Oh, you're laughing at him. Okay. No, I was laughing. All right. Now, what this is following up on is uh, Jesus has just um, been singled out by John the Baptist as Jesus is the man he's been pointing towards. It's the famous passage, if you ever read it, where, where John the Baptist has this, like, really rocking ministry. I mean, he's like, he's like Mark Driscoll, Billy, Billy Graham, uh, whatever, you know, big dogs, uh, He's gathering crowds, they're all coming out. I mean, it's amazing. And then he says, look, it's not about me, it's about this guy over here, and I must decrease and he must increase. And so immediately following upon that, then it says, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea, and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I don't know if you guys know about Samaria. Samaria was uh, full of Samaritans, and these were what we would call half-breed Jews. And they, so they weren't quite Jews, in which, like, for a Jew, made you basically a dog. But they called them dogs. And Samaria, um, and they, they had some weird religious beliefs. They had kind of mixed in Judaism with some other beliefs. And so, like, you didn't even actually, a, a normal, well-respected Jew would often not even pass through Samaria. They would go around Samaria the long way in order not to even go through. It's the wrong section of town, right? So, he came to a town of Samaria called Sikar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about noon. It's 12 o'clock. And so it's interesting because the well, as you can imagine, if you don't have indoor plumbing, the well is a very important place to every single village and city, every single area. That's, that's where water comes from. That's where life comes from. And so everybody had to go to the well to, to get water. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a hubbub of the town. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, which was an interesting deal because women would come early in the morning or late in the day whenever it was cooler. And they would also, before the sheep herders and the tradesmen were all moving around because uh, the guys, the men wouldn't be there. And so they would all come at about the same time so there'd be safety in numbers. And it was a great place to gather, get the water that you had to get for the day, and also kind of pass the gossip, the chit-chat around. You know, if you can imagine living in a village where uh, you didn't have windows and doors the way that we have windows and doors, and they were houses were fairly close together, um, I, I think you would get in each other's business a lot. So you'd come to the well and like, oh, honey, I heard you and your man all raising the hubbub last night. What was going on? They're like, oh, he didn't like the way I cooked the couscous. And he said, he said I put too much water in the couscous. And oh, honey, I heard him. He was going off. You know, you and he. Think about it. <laughs> I don't know why they sound like that way in this particular village. Just that this their particular dialect. They'd be passing the word. 
back and forth. But this woman, this Samaritan woman, she came at noon, which tells us a couple of things that she didn't want to be around the other women. Um, and we're going to see why in just a minute. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Um, I think it's interesting that Jesus placed himself at the well on this particular day at noon. It was no accident. He wanted to be there when this woman was going to come to draw her water. And I was just thinking about how, um, how where God has you and me, the neighborhood that you live in, the people that you work around, the people that you deal with day to day, God has you in those places on purpose. It is no accident that as you are going about your day-to-day business, doing the mundane things of life, buying groceries, uh, getting a drink from the convenience store, uh, working your job, not because you love it, maybe because you have to, to feed your family or to feed yourself or to pay, keep your electricity on, that whatever you are doing in the day-to-day mundane life, God has you there for a purpose. And so he asked her for a drink. And, she, and he answered to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that, say, that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he starts a discussion with this lady that's about more than water because he knows her background, and she, he knows that even though she's coming there for water, what is really going on in her heart. He's starting to turn the conversation to, the, to her heart. In verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So she's not even understanding, like, she's just... She's having a conversation with him. She's thinking, this guy is a little bit, little bit crazy, right? Like, I wonder, I wonder what she's thinking about this guy. Like, is he, can I trust him? Is he a little off his rocker? What in the world is he talking about? Living water. I would ask, I would have asked him for water, but why did he ask me for water? And what is, you know, what in the world is he talking about? Man, I was just thinking, as, as I was thinking about that part, like, you know, <laughs> we have no guarantee as we are dealing with the people that are around us, the people that are maybe far from Jesus, that do not know him, we have no guarantee that, that they're going to like just be waiting for us to talk about Jesus. I remember I was talking with a guy about planning this church. He's a friend of mine. He's, I don't think he's a believer, but he is in marketing. And he was saying, you know, it's interesting. He said, you know, I, I market, uh, he markets timeshare. And he said, I, I market something that there's no... There's no desire for it. Nobody's asking. Nobody drives up to our building and says, hey, would you please sell me a timeshare? We have to create a demand. And he said, it's kind of like that's what you're doing with the church. Like, you're, you're not, 
You know, nobody's out there clamoring for a church. Nobody's out there clamoring for Jesus. They're just out doing their deal. And even if they're not satisfied with their life or satisfied with the church they're going to or the life that they're living, they're, it, your mind doesn't go to the fact that the answer is Jesus. The mind goes to all kinds of other places. The answer is if I only made more money or if my wife wasn't such a jerk or if my husband would really um, get off his butt and do some work around the house or if we could have that kid or if I could meet that girl or whatever the answer is that each of us think that we hold like that's what that's if I cross that line and I get that and I do this then I'll be happy nobody's out there clamoring saying hey tell me about Jesus start a church I'm, I need a church to go to I need a Jesus to worship they're just doing their deal and so when you first, there's, there's almost no way to start a conversation with somebody and then say, I've been, I've been waiting for this moment for the past five weeks for somebody to just bring this up. No, at first they're going to think, um, what in the world are you talking about? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, she asked him. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I, I don't know about you, but I have to be reminded for me personally and for the people that surround me that they are thirsty and that I am thirsty and that nothing else will satisfy the thirst. Nothing else will quench the thirst. There is only one source of rivers of living water that will, that will quench every single desire that they have. Only one source. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, but she's still missing the point, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she's, she's not tracking with him yet, she's, but, she's, but he's tapping into this desire, some sort of desire that she hasn't put words to yet. She hasn't been able to define yet, but he's tapping into that desire. Maybe she's thinking, um, it's just a lot of work to have to come here and haul this water back to my house. Or maybe she's thinking, it's very embarrassing to have to walk from my house all the way here. Maybe I'll run into somebody. Maybe I won't time it right. And somebody will have run out of water early and I'll meet them here and I'll have to look them in the eyes and talk to them. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. She didn't say anything more, just said, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You know, Jesus is still alive. 
Jesus is still alive and at present, is present, is at work in our world. And he sees every person's heart. He knows their deepest pain, their hardest struggle, their deepest desire, and he can speak directly to a person's heart. And the woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. So I, I like, whoa, something's going on here because he just absolutely read my mail. He knew exactly what I'm doing. And then she kind of tr- tries to change the subject. She says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So, like, so Jesus starts to touch her heart. He, he opens her up for, her heart opens up for a second. And then, like, it scares her. It freaks her out. And so what does she do? She attacks religion. She comes back with a question saying, you know, you, you guys say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. She's trying to get this debate started that's been going for years between the Samaritans and the Jews. She's trying to draw him in and distract him. And that's what people will do. People will say, oh, oh um, you, you, you guys believe in so-and-so, don't you? I, I don't really believe that. Or, 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 you know, how did Adam and Eve, you know, how did the, all, the, all the humans come from them? How in the world could that happen? Or, you know, you guys say that the world is, you know, um, is short-term. It's only been around 6,000 years. That's what Christians say. But, you know, we have all this carbon dating that proves it's millions of years old. So, I'd, you, know, they, 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 you know what they're doing, what you're doing, what I would do if I was in the same situation. I'm just... Because my heart is starting to get pricked, something's going on there, and so I'm going to try to distract it and divert it over in another I'll bring direction. Too, like, oh, when I was in church, my grandma was there, and blah blah blah. Absolutely, I've been hurt. I've seen a lot of hypocrisy in the church. Um, but Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming." When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So that's so much to unpack there. We're not even going to try to unpack it. So the woman responds to him. I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine? Like, can you imagine if Jesus and flesh and blood speaking to you face to face and he said, I am he? Like, I don't know, I just feel like, like there would be, sh- yeah, exactly, like shivers would kind of run through my body, like, ooh, that's, oh, that's, whoa, something different ab- about that, you know, I, whoa, and it, it obviously did affect her. You know what? God, no matter what kind of defenses we put up or what kind of defenses other people can put up, God can speak directly to your heart, to every person that's around you that is far from him, he can speak directly to their heart and pierce through all the armor that they've been trying to deflect away. 
And it says, verse 27, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. I mean, that was uh, a rabbi would never, ever speak to a woman and to speak to a Samaritan woman. It's just like he's breaking all kinds of rules. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this, man, can this man be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now we get to the meat of what I wanted to cover. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone, they're not understanding either. Has anyone, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like... I, I, somebody beat us here. I don't understand. Who, somebody, go to, somebody went to Hardee's. I don't, I don't get this. <laughs> Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this is his work of the one who sent Jesus. Do you not say there are yet four months and comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white. For harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So he's saying, Here is what I came to do. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that is food for me. And he says the harvest is upon us. It's ready. Just look around. And here's the proof of that. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's Testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Can you imagine this woman who obviously has not wanted to be around people, who would be shunned in society? She's had five husbands, so there's something going on already. Like all five didn't just like die, I would guess. You know, something's going on. And now she's living with a man who's not her husband. She's obviously not wanting to be around the respectable people in society, but she drops her water jug at the well after Jesus speaks to her heart and says, I am he. I am the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been looking for. I am the, the desire of, the, of your heart. I am, I am in those moments right before you fall asleep, in those moments right when you wake up and you think there must be more than this. I am that. When he said that to her, it pierced her heart, and so much so that she dropped the water jug and ran back to the village where she was avoiding everybody and gathered people around and said, look, there is this dude, maybe he's the Christ. There's something going on because he told me everything about myself, everything that I've ever done. And the Samaritans, they were looking around as you would think, like, I would think, first of all, if somebody ran into my office and said, you know, I've met the Christ, I would think, okay, you're a little bit crazy. <laughs> but this lady runs in, and it makes them stand up and take notice 
because she'd already changed. Who she was, what she valued had changed. They could, it stood out like this girl, we haven't seen her in four weeks. Like she kind of hides in the middle of the day. She never comes out. She, she goes to the market whenever the, at the quietest time and she wears a veil around her face. But yet, she has come here and said something's going on that there must be something different about this man. And it was different enough that they came with her out to the well to listen to him. And it says that they already believed, many of them, before they even got out there. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here's, here's a point of this passage. and Here's what I have forgotten this week when I felt like everything was going a million miles an hour around me and I felt fuzzy and I felt overwhelmed and felt discouraged and wasn't sure what to do. Here's what I forgot. Um, we're, we're actually in the middle of a, of a series where we're talking about doctrine, what we believe at Doxa. And this week is Revelation. God speaks. And here's what I've forgotten. That, God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful and effective to draw people to himself, to change hearts, and to cause a renewal and awakening in our area. And that doesn't rest upon me and my ability to plan things or to communicate things well on Sunday evenings. That doesn't, communi- that doesn't rest upon wombat or whoever's going to stand up with a guitar or accordion or whatever the next guy is going to stand up with and lead us in worship. It depends upon the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news of what he has done. And he is powerful and effective to win people to himself. And that's what we're doing. We're not about drawing a crowd. We're not about building a church. We're not about uh, building a name. We're about seeing a gospel awakening occur along the Grand Strand. And I am just crazy enough to believe that that's what God loves to do. That's the business he's been about since the beginning. It's the business that Jesus came to do. He said, this is why I came. The harvest is white. For harvest, we just need laborers. We've got to get out there. You've got to get out there and do it. And that he is effective and powerful enough to accomplish that change. 